You know, there are some topics in the church that seem uh, pretty taboo, things that we don't want to talk about publicly. And suicide is one of those issues. And when someone takes their own life and uh, we need to put out a communication or deal with it on a Sunday morning, it's really easy for pastors and leaders to remain very vague, saying things like, this person passed away, and then to move on quickly to something else after expressing our sadness and promising to pray for the family. And then when people ask us later what really happened, we pull them aside and explain in whispered tones as if we were discussing something inappropriate. But I think this is wrong for many reasons. First, we might like to think that suicide is rare, but it happens much more than we would like to admit. I have personally helped three families deal with this specific tragedy within the last 12 months. You may remember that my friend Mike Rhodes committed suicide a few months ago. And I've helped many more people throughout the years. And upon thinking about it, I was stunned by how many people that I know who have died by their own hand. And my experience is only a drop in the bucket in a sea of pain. On average, there are 132 suicides per day in the United States of America, which means that this is something that touches most people at some point in their life. And I know that it's touched the lives of many of you here. And when it does, the church needs to be a place where people can be honest about their pain and find support. Second, suicide leaves so many questions for the survivors. Painful questions like, why did he do it? Could I have done more to help? Have I failed him? What will happen to him on the other side of this life? It might be scary to openly talk about this stuff because there are no easy answers, but the church needs to be a safe place where people can wrestle with these kind of questions without feeling judged. People in this church are hurting today. Your pastor and his family are hurting today. <laughs> because a friend who partnered with us in ministry for four years took his own life on Thursday. right after Steve and I tried to pick him up to go surfing and play Linda. And we're not gonna sweep this under the rug with vague statements that are intended to avoid difficult conversations. We're gonna face it head on this morning. So, prior to modern psychology, the church typically frames suicide as a moral and theological issue. Instead of, it seeing it, instead of seeing it through the experience of the person who committed the act, it was interpreted as a selfish and immoral decision to inflict harm on the survivors and as a sinful act in defiance of the only one who had the authority to make decisions of life and death, 
God. Since one cannot confess this sin after committing it, the assumption was that the person went to hell. While there are still some churches who ignore or refute the discoveries of the social sciences, including psychology, and still teach things like that today, most mainline churches have come to think about suicide very differently, including our church. Believing that all truth comes from God wherever we find it, many churches today listen to the doctors and let them influence how we think about suicide. And what the doctors tell us is that suicide is not primarily a moral issue, it is a mental health issue. People don't take their own life for the purpose of hurting the people they love the most. Nor do they commit suicide to thumb their nose at God. In fact, while from our perspective it may seem selfish, this is the farthest thing from the mind of someone who can no longer bear their own life. In most cases, people who commit suicide experience chronic, pervasive, overwhelming pain. Mental, emotional, and spiritual agony that is so acute, it feels like they're being tortured which is why we say that some people are tortured souls. And if you know anything about torture, even those who are the mentally strongest people in the world have a breaking point. When someone reaches that breaking point, the only thing that they can think about is getting out of the pain, even if that requires death. The entire world around them is eclipsed by this pain. And even if they are able in a fleeting moment to think about their loved ones, they usually think that their loved ones are better off without them. That they are transmitting their pain and causing the people that they love the most to feel the same torture that they are feeling. And so in their mind, committing suicide is not only required for them to get out of their pain, but the only way to help their loved ones escape the pain that they are causing them with all of their problems. And if they think of God at all, it's likely that they are saying, God, I am so sorry, but it's just too much for me to handle. Please forgive me. In other words, when people reach the point at which suicide becomes a real possibility, they are in blinding pain and are extremely vulnerable. And if there is anything that Jesus teaches us about God, it is that God is merciful and compassionate. That when we suffer, God suffers with us. That God has a special place in his heart for people who are hurting, for people who are vulnerable, exposed, and without resources to handle overwhelming and life-threatening problems. Now, don't get me wrong. I do not believe for a second that God wanted Scott to die. I do not believe that that was God's will for him. God wanted Scott to find hope 
and healing and freedom. God wanted Scott to experience abundant life with peace and love and joy. But Scott was not able to get there. As he struggled with crippling depression, his problems began to outstrip his ability to handle them, and he made a compulsive, tragic, and irreversible decision from a broken and hopeless place. But this does not mean that his life was a waste. This one bad decision does not undo all of the other good decisions that Scott made in his life. And while he was not perfect, and if you knew Scott, you knew he wasn't perfect, he was a good person, and his life mattered. His life mattered to me, and to Emma, and to many of you. It certainly mattered to his friends and family. Nor does his decision diminish the fact that Scott was a child of God and a man of faith. I know because I was there when Scott decided to follow Jesus. And I saw him struggle from week to week to do his best to receive the healing that he needed to experience to have abundant life. Despite his failures, despite the ways that he missed the mark, as we all do, God understands and loves him unconditionally. And God is powerful enough and compassionate enough to complete the work that he began in Scott a long time ago. To put this in clearest terms as possible, I believe that when Scott took his own life, in the blink of an eye, he was standing before Jesus. And that Jesus was bawling his eyes out after witnessing all the pain and the act that Scott committed, hoping to end his pain. And that Scott, in that moment of clarity, realized the mistake that he had made and that he broke down too and cried out, Jesus, I'm so sorry. And then Jesus opened his arms and engulfed Scott in a hug so big that it just covered him up. He stroked his long blonde hair and he said, it's okay, Scott, it's over. The pain is over and it's okay. Come on, we have a supper to go to and there are lots of people that want to see you. In that moment, I believe that Jesus healed Scott and did for him what he could not do for himself in this life. That's the God that I serve. That's the good news that I celebrate. That is the amazing grace that I sing about, even though my heart breaks that my friend is gone. 
but it's still tragic. This did not have to happen. It should not have happened. If Scott had gotten the help that he needed from mental health professionals, along with the support that he needed from the church, and if there had been people in places where he could have talked about and processed feelings that felt unspeakable, then he could still be here today. What is so insidious and evil about depression, and I know because I struggled with it, and I was medicated for it for many years. What makes it so insidious is that it steals our hope and makes us feel as if change is impossible. But the truth of the gospel is that nothing is impossible with God, that there is always hope, and that our lives can be different but we can't do it alone. We need deep, loving, abiding friendships with people who can bear our burdens and carry us when we cannot walk. And that is what it means to be the church. And our willingness to reach out and to do the necessary work to love and support people in this way for many is an issue of life and death. And this should be a wake-up call for us all. That we cannot afford to play church. People are crying out all around us for help. And they're desperate to hear good news. And it is a tragedy when we fail to hear these cries because we are focused on whether the music was to our liking in worship or whether the pastor preached a sermon that was interesting to you or whether someone in your small group failed to write happy birthday on your Facebook page or whether you liked the furniture that was picked out to redecorate the narthex. It seems trivial now, doesn't it? Jesus heard you when you were at your worst and crying out for help. And someone shared the good news with you, and that's why you're here. Some community of faith surrounded you with acts of love and service, and now it is your turn. God did not save you only for yourself. God saved you so that you could partner with him in helping others find the healing and the freedom and the joy that you now experience. Jesus made you a friend of God so that you could be a friend to others. And now, if you are a follower of Jesus, it is no longer a suggestion to love your neighbors. It is a command. You have a personal, are you awake church? You have a personal 
responsibility to be here for worship on Sunday morning. And it's not just for you. It is for the other people who show up who need your friendship and need your support and need your love. You have a responsibility to be a part of a small group that meets not just occasionally, but regularly, weekly, not just for yourself, but for everyone else who shows up in that group and needs a friend. You have a responsibility to join other people in this congregation to serve, and not just for your own spiritual growth, but to help meet the real needs of others. The day that you became a disciple of Jesus was the last day it was about you. And if you have been a Christian for a long time, and you continue to evaluate the ministries of the church and continue to make decisions about when you will attend and when you will not attend based on what services meet your needs and preferences, then you have grossly misunderstood what it means to be a follower of Jesus. People are dying, folks. People all around us are dying physically, spiritually, emotionally, and God has given you the honor and the privilege and the power to be a part of his great rescue mission. And you never know how much impact that you will have on a person's life. And when things happen, like someone that we love commits suicide, it should arrest our attention and lead to deep reflection about who we are and what we are doing. I am not blaming myself, although I will tell you that I have struggled feeling as if I have failed Scott. He came here and listened to almost 200 sermons. And he still took his own life. That wrecks me. But I do not blame myself. I do not blame you. I do not blame our church. For Scott's death, that was Scott's tragic decision. And this church made a big difference in his life for four years. The gospel made a big difference in his life. Jesus accomplished a lot of transformation in Scott, and I know because I saw it with my own eyes over the last four years. Scott did grow and change and in many ways became a new person. But what I am saying is that it is easy to slip into selfish ways of thinking in which we evaluate everything in life, including our church, through the lens of 
what have you done for me lately? And when something like this happens, it reminds us that church matters. What we do here on Sunday morning matters. Our willingness to practice what we preach when we leave this building, it matters. So let's not miss this opportunity to rethink our faith, to rethink our commitment to Christ, to rethink our commitment to each other, to rethink our commitment to those all around us who are crying out for help. And if you are one of those people who are silently screaming on the inside, I need you to hear me this morning. You are loved. You are valued. God loves you. I love you. We all love you. There is hope. There is help. And God can put people in your life to carry you through the valley of death and lead you out of your pain. So if you are thinking about taking your life, don't do it. Hang on. Reach out. Don't give up.